0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vian, I'm one of the pastors here and it's really an honor to be here tonight and to share the Word of God with you. And also just to share, you know, like I shared this morning at the evening service as well, it's such a delight in light of the word that we're going to share tonight that I don't have to share this word in response to a congregation that's kind of falling apart and diminishing a little bit. But it's such an encouragement to share this in light of a growing community, to encourage us to do the things that we're already doing, but to do them with great intentionality and to understand why we are doing them. And also to encourage us as the evening service, you know, we planted out the morning service. And a lot of people got kids and got babies and they migrated a little bit to the morning service. And there seems to be more growth in the morning service. But thank God, because we are growing as a church, even in the evening service. A bit slower, yes, than the morning service, but growth, nonetheless. And before I begin, let me just open for us in prayer and then we can jump in. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Lord. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of gathering together with the saints, Lord, to lift up your name. Thank you for your word, Father. And thank you, Lord, that in, any, in every area of life, you have provided, Lord, a, a solution, Father, to the problem we have as human beings. And by the Spirit, Lord, you've given us the grace to apply the solution to every area of life. And tonight, Lord, specifically as we look, Father, in this time that we are in as a church, Lord, as to what we need for the thank you that you have made provision. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. Thank you, Jesus, that your sacrifice on the cross is enough. And thank you, Father, for your perfect will, perfect character, that we know that a loving Father is intending good things for his children. And thank you, Lord, that we know, Lord, that that doesn't mean our best life now, but eternal life then. With you, Lord. And whatever it is that we have to go through in this life, Lord, we say that is enough for us. If the end result is glory unto you. For you are worthy of it all, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our title for tonight is Between Passover and the Promised Land between passover and the promised land you know and last week looking at passover and reflecting on exodus 12 where the passover started to see what we can learn from that like hebrews 10 verse 1 says that all of the old testament you know the law the feasts the commandments given through moses this was a shadow of the reality that was to come a shadow pointing to the substance that is jesus christ explaining to us why jesus had to come and do and say what he did and said And again, throughout the whole Old Testament, we can draw these parallels for Jesus Christ. All of Scripture points to Jesus. All of Scripture speaks of the Gospel. And many times when we reflect on the Old Testament, there are certain things that we can learn in light of the things that we are going through now. And last week we looked at the Passover and saw this beautiful picture of God providing the Lamb. And although the lamb is slain and the blood is shed, it's our responsibility just like the Israelites to go and apply the blood to the doorposts. It's our responsibility to apply the sacrifice of Christ in every area of our lives. And we need to do that and that is the start of it and then we need to move on from there. And we're going to look at the Exodus story and how they continue to move out of Egypt to the promised land and see what we can learn from that as well. And don't worry for those of you who are thinking, oh, we're going to go through the Exodus story. You know, that's Exodus 12 till the end through to Leviticus and Deuteronomy until we get to Joshua. We're not going to go through all of those books. We don't have to be here 40 years. But we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Hebrews that points to the same problem that they had and see what we can learn from it. And so many parallels that we can learn from the story. God providing the Passover lamb then temporally showing to christ that came and as they exited egypt what was the first step of obedience they had to pass through the waters the book of corinthians says to us that they were baptized in the waters under the cloud and through the red sea with moses and we know that that's the same pattern in the new testament that after we've applied the sufficient sacrifice of the slain lamb to our lives the first step of obedience is baptism that corresponds to that and then moses descends. Onto the mountain to bring down the law and Jesus descends further than the mountain into heaven to pour out the Spirit and all of these parallels we can trace between them and many times people ask you know but how do we how do we draw those parallels how do we see these things in Scripture and one tip that I maybe want to give to us before we dive in tonight is how to interpret Scripture well for those of you who have been at encounter one who've been in church a while you've heard whenever we speak about the gospel there's four areas of the gospel that we should understand if we want to understand it fully and also communicate it well to others. What are those four, four areas? Let's see if someone here can remember. What's the first one? Anybody? begins with a P. Problem. There is a problem. And we have to understand the problem in light of the solution there's a reason there is a need for a gospel there's a reason there's need for good news there's reason there's need for a sacrifice and that is the problem of sin that we find ourselves in dead in sin controlled by the devil destined for hell and the wrath of god that is a problem and it's quite a severe problem painted the picture of scripture and then what is the second area solution The solution of jesus christ living the perfect life for us and dying the death that we should have died he died the death we should have died and lived the life we should have lived so that through his blood we receive the forgiveness of sins and through his obedience we become righteous that is the solution and then thirdly there's a response we cannot simply look at what god did for us we need to apply that to our lives just like the israelites had to apply the blood of the lamb to their lives like we said, just because there's blood on the outside of the house doesn't mean you can do what you want to in the inside of the house. You have to obey God. That is what faith is. That is what faith does. Faith is equal to obedience. So there's a reaction, a response. And then finally, there's an effect. And the effect is good things flowing through our lives. And whenever we read through Scripture, we need to pay attention to those four things. Like any from Shelf or Jobak says, there's always a people problem. So that's the first thing we want to look for, the people problem. Or like theologians would call it the fallen condition focus. We as fallen human beings have a problem and scripture is always pointing that out. What is the people problem? Secondly, we want to look for the gospel solution in Jesus Christ. Scripture always provides us with a solution. And then we want to see what is the reaction. How do we respond to this by the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit? And then that restores us to? The Father's will, that is the effect that it then has in our lives. Those are the things that we have to look th- for as we go through Scripture. And it would have been nice if it was only necessary once, eh? Man, that would have been great. This initial great problem that we're facing, dead not sin. And if I only had to do it once and God came and restored that, now all of a sudden we're perfect. Man, that would have been great. But the New Testament starts with the Gospel, but then it continues with the Epistles showing the church how we can apply the sacrifice of Christ to every area of life. See, most of the New Testament is addressing a problem that this church still has after believing in Christ. And there's still a solution found in the gospel and still a response needed through the Spirit to still restore us to the will of the Father. Still necessary in our lives. And as I say, we're going to read through this passage of scripture and see what we can learn between the Passover and the promised land because that's literally where we are now. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, that's where we are as New Testament church. We are between the Passover and the promised land. Jesus Christ has been sacrificed. We believe in him and we are awaiting the promise that is to enter heaven, the promised land, the city whose builder is God. And to see what we can learn from this. The gospel solution is Hebrews 10 from verse uh, verse one to 18. And then it speaks about the solution and the response in light of the problem from verse 19 to 39. So we're gonna read through it and see what we can learn. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 39. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if here comes the problem, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries anyone who set aside the law of moses die without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of god and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, here comes the exhortation, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggling with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those so treated. For you had compassion, has no pleasure in him but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and persevere their souls quite a comprehensive passage of scripture dealing with a lot of things but let's start with the people problem and we have to see now this that the whole book of hebrews is written about this primary problem that the people are facing there's a lot of stuff that addresses but the overarching theme is this singular problem and it's divided into two groups of people and the book is written to show the supremacy of christ that he's greater than and better than all things and everyone and in light of that a call to persevere to endure to finish the race to end strong and we'll see in this specific passage there is two groups of people that the scripture focuses on and we see it here in verse 26 and verse 36 and the first group is a group of people that haven't come to salvation. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, then no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now and just to explain this because maybe you're thinking to yourself, shucks. I, there was a time in my life where I received the knowledge of the truth. I heard the gospel and I continued in sin. I mean, this doesn't imply that you only have one chance. If you hear the gospel the first time and you don't respond well, there's no second chance. That is not what the scripture is saying. We read in 1 John 1 verse 8 that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Chapter 3 says, if we make a practice of sin, we neither know him, neither have we seen him. So we haven't been born again if we deliberately continue in sin. So this passage is speaking about someone that has heard the message of the gospel, but haven't started to apply the message of the gospel. And what it's saying is two things. That firstly, if you don't apply the sacrifice of Christ, you can go and look everywhere. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other remedy to the problem that we're in. No other sacrifice exists out there. And secondly, it's speaking to the Hebrews, the Jewish people, explaining to them how we should respond to the gospel. He says, this isn't the days of old, like in the wilderness or like in the promised land, where you can just go on sinning and bring your lamb every year. There no longer exists that sacrifice for sin. You can't just go on the way you're going on and bring your lamb every year. That is not how salvation works. That is not what the sacrifice was intended to mean. You don't understand the provision of God. You don't understand the message of the gospel. And you haven't responded as you should. And if you are sitting here tonight and this is you, don't worry. There's a gospel solution to fix the problem. And it's the same thing that we have to do we have already tasted and have need of endurance. It says here in verse 36, speaking about those already saved, saying, do not throw away your confidence. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So here's the second people problem. We have need of endurance. Saying that there is a tendency to start well, but not to finish that well. Specifically this also addressing two groups of people, those who have become passive, and those who have started to isolate themselves. In chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews, in verse 12, It speaks about the priestly order of Melchizedek and it says, About this we have much to say, but you have become dull of hearing. For by this time, verse 12, you you should have been able to give instruction in the faith. But you need yet again someone to teach you the basic principles about the word of God. You have become passive. There is no growth in your faith. You are simply sitting and observing. There is no intentional growth in being part of the body of Christ. And for us, as we are sitting here tonight, we have to ask that question. How long have you been sitting with the saints? And if it's been a long time, you have to ask this question. Are you able to instruct others in the faith? Are you able to disciple others? And are you actively discipling, discipling others? Because if you are not, you have need of endurance. You need to press in. There's a solution made. But we need to know where we are so that we can shift to where we need to be. Amen. You have to realize the problem so that we can apply the solution. And the second group of people in verse 10-25 that we just read, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Those who have isolated themselves. See, this is necessary. There's a reason why God says we should do the things that He calls us to do. But those who have become passive and those who have started to isolate themselves... And in light of this, a need for endurance, when we reflect about the story in Exodus and about the people leaving Egypt to the Promised Land, there is a warning that should stand out to all of us. And that is this. We read in Exodus 12, verse 37, that about 600,000 men left Egypt. Now, if you want to include the women and the children, if we say that there is just one woman and one child for every man, that's 1.8 million people. About 2 million people leaving Egypt, but let's just focus on the 600,000. Of that 600,000 that left Egypt, how many entered the Promised Land? Three. Three people in light of 600,000. Three entered. Three endured. Obviously with the generation after them, but of that initial 600,000, most of them died in the wilderness and only three entered. And the scripture explains to us why. In Hebrews 4 verse 2 it says, because they were not united together in faith with those who believed. And verse 6, because they disobeyed. They failed to enter because of disobedience and it says let us not fail to enter the rest of God but let's encourage one another in chapter 4 as well that is the problem that is what we should learn from that as we reflect on what happened and in light of that and in light of the times that we are living in as the scripture says we should encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. all the more as the judgment day comes closer all the more as the end times approach there will be a need for this all the more And in light of that, with all the end time confusion going around, and all the end time conspiracies going around, we have to ask ourselves, what is the one thing that Jesus said about the end times? What is the one encouragement that he gave the church? And we read in Matthew 24, his disciples going to Jesus and asking him, when will the end times come? What will happen? And Jesus says you will hear about rumors of wars and wars, and nation rising up against nation, don't be alarmed. See to you that you are not misled. And then he says these following words in verse 10 to 13, which kind of sums up what Jesus is saying. He says, and then many will fall away. Many will fall away from the faith. We read the same in the book of 1 Timothy. And devote themselves to teachings of demons, and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So many will fall away, and many will be led astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You have need of endurance. You have need of endurance in light of many falling away, in light of many being misled. You have need of endurance. And what is the reason? Jesus says lawlessness will be increased. Therefore the love of many will grow cold. And we are seeing this around us lawlessness being increased. What does lawlessness mean? A law unto yourself. And we are entering a time where you can't only do what you want to do, but you can also somehow be what you want to be. Are you with me? It needs abounding. And as it abounds, the love of many will grow cold. And Jesus is saying, Do not be alarmed. Do not, mis- do, do not be misled. You have need of endurance. And then he goes on, in light of that, to tell a couple of parables. To explain what this endurance will look like. And he firstly explains the parable of the two servants. You can go read it from Matthew 24 onwards. And he says, one was waiting for the master of the house to come back. And he was diligently doing the work that the master told him to do. And when the master knocked, he opened. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The other one said to himself, no, surely my master is not coming back. He's not holding on to the hope of his confession. Surely my master is not coming back. And when the master came back, he cut him into pieces and threw him out with the hypocrites. That's quite severe. And in the parable of the ten virgins, five was prepared as they drew near to the bridegroom, and five was not. Five entered, five did not. And then he explains the parable of the talents. And we think, but how does that fit in there? And it's Jesus saying, in this endurance, I've not called you to maintain your faith, but to grow your faith. You're not only called to maintain what God has given, but to multiply what he gave. He was displeased with the one that only maintained. We're called to grow in the things that God has entrusted to us. And then in light of service of the saints, he paints the picture of final judgment, dividing the crowds into two groups, the faithful and the unfaithful. And to the one he says, you saw me naked and you clothed me hungry and you fed me thirsty and you gave me drink naked and in prison and you visit me. And to the rest, he says, "You didn't do these things." And they said, "When did we see you this way and didn't minister to you?" And he points to the church and he says, "Whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me." That is the description of endurance needed to be faithful to what God has called us to—to to constantly draw near as the Bridegroom comes, to multiply and grow in what God has given, and to minister to the needs of the saints. That is what Jesus. and all the more as you see the day approaching that is the people problem, we have need of endurance the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 that we just went through, verse 32 as we read he says to them, recall the former days when you just became enlightened those first days when you came to Jesus when you were saved how you joyfully accepted suffering and the plundering of your goods why? because you knew that you had a better inheritance an abiding one you are held fast to the confession of your faith. But you are neglecting to draw near. You are neglecting to hold fast. You are neglecting to meet together. And now it becomes difficult. You have need of endurance. And the gospel response and solution looks as follows. Hebrews 10, 22 and 23. In light of what Jesus did and in light of the warning. It says, let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, this one we kind of like in our individualistic society and what culture is trying to teach us because many times we read these three things, and we'll get to the third one now, and we think that they are separate from one another. They work separate from one another. The first two, we are called to do that on our own the third one we can do together now and again but there's a reason scripture says us and not will you but it says let us like the rest of scripture christianity is a let us thing it's not a will you or you can go and try but it's a let us and then number three together with those first two and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And interesting there. what was Jesus? What did he say? What would be the effect of the end times? Why would the love of many grow cold? Why would they fall away? Why will deception abound? Because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. What are we called to do as a church? To encourage one another to what? Love and good works. So while people do the wrong things for the wrong reasons, we are called to encourage one another to do the right things for the right reasons. Good works and love. Good works, the right things. Love, the motivation behind it. In light of that increasing in the world, we are called to increase all the more in love and good works. While there is a temptation for lawlessness to abound, we are called to encourage one another to good works. And while love decreases all the more in the world, we are called to encourage love all the more in the church. This is where your endurance is found. When you are thinking to yourself, but who will encourage me to love and good works? Where will my exhortation to endure come from? Look around you. That's where it will come from. And when you look to those around you and you're wondering where will their encouragement come from? You go and look in the mirror. That's where it will come from. But we are called to encourage one another to love and good works. To be intentional. To consider actively think about how we can stir one another to love and good works and what is the second thing that Jesus warns us against? Deception Deception and what is one of the benefits of being united together with the church and ministering together with the church in Ephesians 4 verse 14 it says what then we will no longer be children tossed to and fro and driven by the winds of doctrine by human cunningness and deceitful schemes but rather speaking the truth in love but to grow up into him who is the head, with every joint and ligament knit together, as each part is working properly, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. But we guard one another from temptation, we guard one another from deception. 1 Timothy 3:15 says that the church is the pillar and buttress of truth, the one who stands for and upholds truth, and in an area of mis- misguidance people being misled, we are called to keep one another in the truth and in the faith. But here we should be careful because gathering with the wrong people will lead to the deception. You see, because while the church is called to keep one another in the truth and in the faith, there are groups of people who gather that say they are the church and they are actually the breeding place of deception. They are the cause of it. That is where it comes from. And that's why it's so important to draw near on your own as well, to read the word on your own as well, to hold fast to the confession of your hope as well as individuals, so that when we come together, we know what is true. We know what is true. And in light of this, I want to encourage us as it comes to the fight of truth. Many times when we are surrounded with Christians, or maybe in your small group, and it comes to that topic that you don't know too much about, you you don't want to say anything because you don't want them to figure out that you don't know. If there's one place that I want people to know that I don't understand something correct or something at all, it is my small group. Man with people that love the truth, may they be the people that figure out that I don't understand something as I should, or don't know something at all. see, when we gather together as a small group, there's three things that we want to find out. And that is what we don't know at all, what we understand wrong, and what we understand right. So, that we can encourage one another and align with the truth of what God has called us to. So, it's fine to figure out those things together. So, we have these three things that Scripture calls us to in light of what's going on in the world, in light of us needing endurance, in light of us needing to persist in the faith. Verse 22 Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 23 Let us hold fast to confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 24 And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And like I said, many times we think these three things work separate from one another. But they're actually supposed to work together. They are working together right now. We are busy doing all three right now. We are busy experiencing all three right now. And some of us to a greater extent than others. And we'll speak a bit about that next week. But haven't you found it interesting? You know, In the same service, two people can sit and one person is so overwhelmed by the presence of God and his life so irrevocably changed. And the person next to him is thinking, how long are we still going to be? How is that possible? How is that possible? And we're going to look at that next week. You see, many times we simply don't engage as we should and we don't experience things as we should because we don't understand them as we should. We don't know why we do what we do. And we fall back into tradition or simply because God said so. And God said so is a good enough reason. For every person who understands the character of God, he doesn't always have to figure out the reason of God. Because he knows that a loving Father rooted in his character, whatever he says, he's planning that for his eternal glory and my eternal good. But to know the reason also helps. Specifically when it comes to this specific verse that has been used out of context and to manipulate people why is this such a special thing for god why does he insist on the church gathering regularly and consistently with one another what is being displayed what is being portrayed to the world why does it stir faith why does it lead to endurance what are we teaching one another what are we modeling to our children and showing to the world around us when we come together and maybe to ask you there you said what does church mean to you why are you here tonight why do you go to small group what do you think it embodies What does he teach us? And there's a lot of things and we can't go through all of them. you know. But one of the beautiful things is we are a kingdom of priests, according to the book of Peter. Not a kingdom with priests, like the Roman Catholic Church would say. But a kingdom of priests. Every member a minister. And what did the priests do? They gathered at the temple to first minister unto God, then to one another, and then to the world. And now there's no physical temple, but we are the temple of God being knit and joined together. So when we come together, we are the temple of God and we are the priests of God. And we first minister to God in worship. And then we receive ministry. And then we go out into the world to give that same ministry. So that is one of the things, and there are many. But specifically in light of Exodus. Specifically in light of these people called out of Egypt. What is it that we are embodying? What is it that we should remind ourselves of when we come together? What is happening right now? You see the word church in the Greeks, the word ecclesia. From two, well one word in a a prefix. It's cleo, or meaning to call out. You can wear that Greek word kolio, call. And the suffix ek, out of. A called out assembly unto God. What happened in Egypt? God said, I'm calling my people out of Egypt under the slavery of Pharaoh to come and worship me in the desert. What are we embodying? We are called out of this world from under the slavery of Satan to come and worship God. And Every single Sunday when we come together, we are saying, Jesus, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed and he has been raised from the dead, securing our redemption and we are coming out of the world. To worship God, out from, under the, the enemy's temptation, to come and worship God. That is what we are embodying each and every Sunday when we come together. And reminding ourselves of that, that we are called out of. As we minister in the world, as we shine our lights in the world every week, Sunday we're saying we are coming out of the world. We've been called out of, to come and worship God. Because our Passover of a lamb has been sacrificed, Jesus Christ. And we remind ourselves of that, and we remind our children of that. And when it rains and when it's difficult, and when we have to drive back sooner from that holiday or family gathering to be here, we remind ourselves of what? That we have forsaken the path of least resistance. We have chosen to enter the desert. Why? Because there the provision of God is. We follow Him, we have forsaken. Like Jesus says in Matthew 7, the the broad path, the easy path that leads to destruction. And we have willfully and intentionally moved to the narrow path, which is hard, that leads to life. And when our children say, why do we do this? We remind them of it. But it's comfortable, it's raining outside, can't we just watch or zoom in? And while that's a good supplement, it can't be the only thing we do. To think that engaging with church over Zoom is sufficient would be like one of the Israelites watching out of his window as they left for the Exodus and thinking that somehow he also left Egypt. We have to come together. The beautiful thing is that just as God was with them in a very unique and powerful way, so he's with us now in a very unique and powerful way when we gather. Paul writes to the Corinthians, speaking about sexual immorality in the church. And he says, remove the leaven from among you. Now the first seven days as they removed out of Egypt, they had the feast of unleavened bread. To remind themselves that they're leaving the things of Egypt behind to cleanse themselves, to be a people unto God who worship God. And he says, remove the leaven from among you. Why? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Pointing back to the same thing. And then in verse 4 he says, when you gather in the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus is present. And that word power is the word dunamus, The same word that Jesus used when he says, when the woman touched him, he felt power leaving him. Same word in Luke 4, there's one that says Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same word Jesus used when he says, and I'm seated at the right hand of power in heaven. And he's saying, I'm with you now to deliver, to heal and to set free. And I like what Henny from Shofar Joburg says. He says it was Jesus' custom to come to church. And it's still his custom to come to church he says where two or three are gathered in my name there i am and yes he's with us as individuals as well but he would have even said that if he wasn't with us in a special way when we gather just be assumed yeah lord we know you're with us always but especially when we gather and some of us might have seen this before that's why we do altar calls that's why we say pray with us now or come so that we can pray with you now Because God is here now to heal, deliver, and set free. And many times we think to ourselves, no, I don't want to do it publicly. I'm a bit ashamed. So I don't want to do it now. I'll go and deal with it at home. But when you come home, the same anointing doesn't rest at home, and you still struggle with it day after day, and week after week, and month after month. Until you bring it to the congregation. Why? Because there's a reason why we gather. Not only the gifts of the saints that we need, but the grace of God that rests on the saints to minister to us what we need. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. So remember this, every Sunday, when you're joining together, every Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, whenever your small group is, when you meet together, remind yourselves that we are intentionally reminding ourselves that we are called out from the world to minister unto God, as we draw near to Him, as we hold fast to our hope, as we consider how to stir one another to love and good works. I want to end off with verse 37 to 39. And it says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. And my righteous one shall, not, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. And persevere their souls. Let's gather together. Let's draw near. Let's hold fast and let's consider how to stir one another to love and good works. And I know that some of you have been hurt in church. I know that some of you have been disappointed in church and you will be again. But here's the thing you'll also hurt others and you'll also disappoint them. Why? That's the people problem that we all have. And we have to understand that the actions of people will never justify our disobedience toward God. It doesn't matter what people did. We still need our call to do what God has called us to do. And even in the hurt and even in the disappointment, we learn to endure. We learn to exercise faith as we forgive, bear with one another in love. And press on to eternal life. Amen? And next week we'll look at how we can apply this actually through the Spirit. Because just being present isn't all that God has called us to and again, something that we learned from the Exodus. Because all of them were present in the wilderness. I mean, there they, there they sat. All of them were there. So they were present together, but only three entered. And Next week, we're going to look at how the Spirit actually empowers us to imply this to our lives in a very unique and powerful way. But let's stand together tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that We can gather tonight, Lord. And for each and every one of us, Lord, may it just again, Lord, be so significant, Father, the reason why we do what we do. And that we might also know, Lord, that the things that you call us to, Father, is not because you don't want us to be bored on the weekends. But there's a reason, Lord, you call us to do what we are called to do. It's a good Father, planning good things, wanting to give life to those who follow him. And thank you, Lord, that we are not called to do this alone, Father. I think all of us have experienced, Lord, watching a motivational video and being very psyched up. But the next morning when we are alone, it just doesn't seem that the motivation is still there. And thank you, Lord, that we are not called, Lord, to be encouraged, Lord, with people afar, people on a video, Father. And then I'd call to go and do that on our own. But this is a let us, Lord. This is a let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. And may we be a people, Father, of the let us. A people who draw near, Lord. A people that hold fast. A people that consider to stir one another to love and good works. Not people with a mentality, Father, of we are the church when we meet together, Lord. But we are always the church, Lord. Even when we leave. Our small groups isn't just on Wednesday night. But they are always my small group. And I constantly consider, prayfully, Father, as I draw near to you. How can I encourage them to love and good works? and thank you lord that we know for the light of the times that we are living in father that it's not a nice extra lord, but it is a necessity this is where we persevere lord we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed we are those who persevere and if you are here tonight and you have never responded to god you've always just seen the sacrifice but never started to apply always at the same light deliberately continuing in sin. And if that is you just there where you stand won't you lift your voice to god and say lord i'm returning i don't even know what to say how to pray what to do lord but i'm drawing near help me show me and as you say that words god will help you but just start to to pray where we are gathered god is not much jesus is here and he wants to sit free deliver heal let's respond not just stand and look but if that is you respond just there where you stand if you are here tonight and you're reflecting on your faith and you have to come to terms that you started well but you're not enduring as you should just say God Lord I'm returning Father remind me of the days of old remind me when I just came to salvation I joyfully followed man and I gave everything and I lost sight Lord come and give vision again come and restore if that is you just there we are lift up your voice if you are here tonight and your primary focus when gathering together with the saints or your small group was a selfish reason, and while there's a good selfish reason not to be misled into to stir your faith and to keep enduring, we are not here primarily to receive but to give. It doesn't say consider how others can stir you to love and good works. It says consider how you can stir them to love and good works. And if you need to intentionally turn your heart so that you can stir the faith and love in your brothers and sisters, if that you just lift up your voice and say, Lord, lead me, Father, to stir faith and love in the lives of those around me. Thank you, Jesus, that your sacrifice is enough, Lord. And that the gospel solution is not just that you save us as individuals, but you knit us together as a family, Lord of believers as a body of Christ and as scripture says Lord just because I'm a hand a foot or a mouth I cannot say I have no need of the other parts of the body we need one another Lord and I pray Father that we'd never be so narrow minded Father to think that we are only called to stir to love and good works show for no Lord every single believer in this town every single church in this town Father We are all between the Passover and the promised land. We all have the same king, the same mission, the same vision. And may we know, Lord, that when we are on holiday, Father, or when we are not in Secunda, Father, it's better to join physically together with whomever gathers there and to watch a video of those engaging here. But may we be intentional, Father, in drawing near and holding fast and encouraging others to love and good works thank you father that we know that no matter where we go in this world there your body will be There the saints will be lord there believers will be wherever we go we can be intentional in drawing near and holding fast and considering how to stir one another to love and good works We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for enabling us to apply that sacrifice and restoring us to the will of the Father. And thank you, Father, that your will is perfect and good. In Jesus' name.